0: Welcome to The Play Readers, a podcast where we discuss unusual or infrequently produced plays. I'm your co-host, Andrea.
1: And I'm Nick.
0: And we are The Play Readers. Today's play, I Have Been Here Before, is another one of our unusual plays, and another one that takes a look at causality. Unlike Lifetimes 3, however, in I Have Been Here Before, someone is aware of the repeating scenes and actively and intentionally affecting events. But before we get into that, let's get a bit of the background. Nick?
1: I Have Been Here Before is by, his full name is John Boynton Priestley. His career took place largely during the 1930s and 1940s. He was a British novelist and playwright. Mm -hmm. His uh, career really started or started taking off in the 1920s. And his first success was a novel called The Good Companions, uh, first published in 1929. Okay. As far as his plays go, the ones that I have personally read, and I'll just go through these in, in uh, chronological order, Dangerous Corner, which was first produced in 1932, and that was his first big success. Mm-hmm. There's Time in the Conways, and I Have Been Here Before, which is which are both from 1937. Uh, there is his most famous play called An Inspector Calls, sure. from 1945. And I've got this other play that I've read of his called The Linden Tree. It's from 1947. Not real well known, that one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's part of an anthology that I read. Okay. Uh, His plays, uh, with the exception of The Linden Tree, all of his other plays are considered what they call the time plays. And I'm not real sure who they is. (laughs) I just did some research online and and people who write about him online have referred to him as uh, these plays as being the time plays. Okay. In the sense that they deal with time and they deal with causality and interconnectedness and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Those, Those themes tend to run pretty deep.
0: Interesting. So this was a, a subject that he returned to pretty often in his career. It sounds like.
1: Yeah, he was he was very into that, and he was also writing. I mean, most of his plays are stage thrillers. They're really structurally not that different than like "Dial M for Murder" by Frederick Knott. Okay. Or uh, most of Agatha Christie's plays. It was just that he always had this element of. ...time or causality in a lot of his plays.
0: Yeah, that kind of makes things a little bit weird.
1: In terms of his actual philosophy of time... Yeah. ...I've had a hard time pinning this down. (laughs) Okay. Uh, According to the Wikipedia article on J.B. Priestley... ...he was heavily influenced by an English philosopher named John William Dunn. Mm -hmm. As far as this particular play that we're talking about, I have been here before... The actual script is based on a book called A New Model of the Universe by P.D. Ouspensky, a uh, Russian philosopher, or they list him as an esotericist, and that was first published in 1931. So this was kind of a, uh, a new thing right. at the time it was made, although I haven't actually personally read this book yeah. at all, so I'm not going to claim to know anything about it. uh i would think that's something you would have to go to interlibrary loans to find yeah it's not something that uh that's that's real well known Mm -hmm. anyway to the point where you'd expect a lot of editions to have been printed
0: yeah we're theater people anyway not philosophy people
1: (laughs) yeah and uh I'd say if I personally were to direct this, Mm -hmm. I would probably want to at least hunt that book down and maybe give it a a once-over. Sure. I don't know if I would want to read it real carefully or cover to cover it, but at least have some familiarity with with what's going on.
0: Okay. Good to know. So that sounds like a pretty good background for this show. What does the cast look like?
1: Relatively small cast. Mm -hmm. Only six people. Okay. uh, Four men. Uh, two women. Mm-hmm. The actual play itself takes place in the Black Bull Inn in Grindelmore, North Yorkshire. Okay. And I am not real familiar with the geography of England. No. Or the UK by any means. Nor I. I did look up the Black Bull Inn on Google Maps. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of them. <laughs> Black Bull is apparently a very common name throughout the United Kingdom. Sure. So there is a sense that this is a real place, but not probably not a real, real place. At least not one that exists anymore. Not a
0: specific place.
1: Yeah, the actual play takes place in the, the sort of the drawing room. Mm-hmm. Or the the opening lobby or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Off stage. there's a kitchen and a dining area. Uh, there's a bar on stage. Mm-hmm. And there's four rooms somewhere in there. So this honestly sounds more like what we would think of as a bed and breakfast.
0: Oh, okay. As yeah.
1: As opposed to an actual, I mean, what we modern times would think of as a hotel. Right. Uh, and the f- the six characters, there are the two people who work there. There's Sally Pratt and Sam Shipley. Mm-hmm. Sam Shipley is a man in his 60s, and he is Sally's father and the owner of the Black Bull Inn.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Sally is younger. She's in her 30s, and she sort of works as an innkeeper, a bookkeeper. She cooks. She, they both kind of do whatever needs to be done.
0: Yeah, she helps Dad run the place. That makes sense.
1: The other characters are the four guests, each of whom has a separate room. Mm-hmm. There is Dr. Gortler, a man in his 60s who is German. He's the he's the foreigner okay. of the group, and he has been exiled from Germany. Remember, this is 1937. Ah. The other people include Oliver Ferent. We just refer to him as Ferent. He's in his late 20s. He's apparently a regular, but they know him there. Mm-hmm there is janet ormond who is a woman in her 20s and she is the wife of walter ormond who is a man in his 40s and he's very very rich and he's the boss man okay and they're all somewhat interconnected except for dr gortler uh-huh. in the sense that walter ormond uh walter ormond is a rich businessman he's in charge of a company called ormond's unlimited uh, it doesn't really go into a lot of what it is they do, but needless to say, he's the head of a, a very, very powerful company. There is Oliver Ferrant who works as a, a teacher in one of his branches or something. So his his financial success has a direct impact on Oliver Ferrant's success. Okay. And Sally Pratt has a son mm-hmm. who is going to a school that Ferrant works at. Okay. So they're all sort of interconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least economically speaking, if not interpersonally. Sure. So that becomes sort of an an important element later on in the play is how they're interconnected. Okay. But that's your cast breakdown. You got got two younger-ish women, two younger-ish men, and then a couple of guys in their 60s.
0: So you already touched a little bit on what the setting is. Let's get into specifics with regards to what the set would look like and any challenges we might see there.
1: I think this is a pretty straightforward set. I mean, I've worked on a lot of plays that have pretty much exactly the same setup. There's going to be some exits and entrances. Mm There is a bar. Yeah. I mean, just about every play it seems like I've been in has has had a bar on it somewhere. There is, I mean, it's it's really straightforward. There's nothing here that falls under the category of exceptionally challenging. I mean, I don't even think you need to light a fire on this, on stage for this one. Awesome. So uh, technically it's, and I mean, the lights... It's just lights up, lights down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no special uh, sound effects or anything like that that take... Well, I take that back. There is a gunshot Okay. at one point in time. But besides that, there's really not a lot in terms of special effects or lighting or, or anything like that. Pretty straightforward, technically.
0: Good to know. All right. So we've got a fairly straightforward cast, a straightforward set. What about the plot? Probably not so straightforward, I'm guessing.
1: The plot is a little more complex than most stage thrillers would be. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is sort of the sense of impending doom like you would have with, with a thriller, but because it has sort of these science fiction and philosophical elements, it is a little stranger than these sorts of plays tend to be. Okay. Although the complexity, come to think of it, I just did dial M for murder, and that was pretty complicated in in terms of the plot as well. Sure, yeah, you got a lot of twists and turns to kind of keep things going. The play is organized with three acts, Mm -hmm. and the first act is maybe a little bit longer than the second and third acts, Personally, I would do two intermissions for this, one in between acts, but I think you could easily get away with just putting an intermission between act one and then the other two acts.
0: Yeah, two intermissions is not always possible
1: for some outfits, so. It takes place over the course of a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm -hmm. The play opens up, act one, it is evening on a Friday night and it's just Sally and Sam on stage, and they're you know they're kind of casual. They they it's established that they own the place, that they run the place. And shortly after that, this guy Doc, Dr. Gortler comes in. Okay. Now, Dr. Gortler, he's he's an older guy. He was a professor at one point in time. He's a little bit strange. He's from Germany. He's a German mm-hmm. exile, mm-hmm. so he's the foreigner. Mm-hmm. And he comes in and he asks about a room and. He guesses who's in the room. He says it's it's a couple and then a young man, right, or something along those lines. And they say, no, uh, they have the young man there, but uh-huh. they're waiting on three young women to take the other three rooms. Okay. And he says, he says very ominously, this must be the wrong year. <laughs> so we've already got a little bit of time traveler uh-huh. speak going on here. He leaves and Sally's a little shaken up and Sally doesn't like Dr. Gortler. She warms up to him eventually, but for a long time she just he creeps her out really, really bad.
0: Well, yeah, with a comment like that.
1: Sure. <laughs> and uh, he he guess he says that I must have it wrong, I must have the wrong ear, and he leaves. And then shortly after that, the guests who are together, the three guests who are together, they call in and they cancel their reservations. Okay. So suddenly they have three rooms available. Mm -hmm. Shortly after that, Mr. Ferrant comes on. Mm -hmm. And so we have, and there's a familiarity there. Sally and Sam, they know Oliver Ferrant.
0: Yeah, you mentioned he was like a regular.
1: Yeah, he's kind of, I don't know, he's like their norm from Cheers. (laughs) Okay. He's a teacher. He has a respectable position in society, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. He's probably dressed very nice. Anyway, uh, then there's a call that comes in. And the call comes in from Walter and Janet Ormond, who uh, are looking for a place to stay, and it's a last-minute thing. And they say, oh, yeah, we've got a couple of rooms. They just happened to open up. So here we have our couple, as right. mentioned earlier. Yeah. And they talk about Walter Ormond a little bit because he's he's kind of famous. Okay. Because he's very, very wealthy. He's got a lot of power. Shortly after this, Dr. Gortler comes back, and he asks for a room, and they go ahead and they oblige him yeah there's a little bit of talk about philosophy i mean every time gortler's on stage he's usually talking about philosophy uh as far as uh the way that time works Mm -hmm. and he it's it's slowly revealed throughout the course of the play what's going on with time but at this point it's mostly sort of this discussion about what we would call deja vu
0: Okay.
1: So there's sort of a recognition going on and a, a feeling of familiarity, even though Gortler's never been there and he's never met anybody.
0: To their knowledge.
1: To their knowledge. Uh-huh. Yes, to anybody's <laughs> knowledge, really. <laughs> then Ormond and Janet come on. So now we got the rest of our cast on stage. Ormond is Walter Ormond, and I just call him Ormond.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's drunk perpetually. Oh. That's kind of a, a character trait. This is the 1930s. Yeah. And he likes his whiskey and he likes his cigars. Mm-hmm. Uh, he repeatedly refers to smoking, so you're going to have to figure that out technically with him. Yeah. You can probably find something that looks like a cigar or fake cigars or something like that. Oh, for sure. But I'm pretty sure you could probably find an e-cigar. yeah. To to represent Ormond, because he's drinking and smoking the whole time he's on stage, and he's always doing something to do with his work. Right. If he was a modern-day guy, he would be glued to a cell phone <laughs> through this whole thing, and the only thing that prevents him from being glued to a cell phone is the fact that they don't exist. Right but he's that kind of business guy. Okay. He, he never shuts it off. Mhm. Janet when they first enter has sort of this deja vu and this faintness and she's not I mean the whole place sort of hits her in the face.
0: Mhm.
1: There's clearly some marital strain. Right. Between Walter Ormond and his wife, Janet. Janet's a bit younger. Mm -hmm. There's maybe a 20-year age gap there. Oh. They're married, but it seems like there's some strain, like there's not a lot of love there. Mm -hmm. And they've already got separate rooms. Oh. Because he's got some habits that he doesn't want to disturb her. Okay. And that sort of thing. It's not because they're mad at each other or anything like that. It's just they get separate rooms because they have different sleeping habits. And okay. And he's always on. And they can afford it. Ferent comes in mm-hmm. again. And so now we have, I think, pretty much everybody together. Oh. But when Janet and Ferent first see each other, mm-hmm. there's sort of a moment. Uh-huh. Right? They look at each other and... There's even a a, a, yet a sound effect of a grandfather clock striking during this time, just to give it a little bit of there's something Mm
0: -hmm. significant
1: significant about this. Okay. Anyway, after this moment, Gortler comes on stage, and Gortler is he's very very polite.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He tries to be really nice, and he's really understanding. Uh, he sort of understands that he's the he's the outsider, yeah. And so he's very gracious and very courteous, mm-hmm. but he's also very blunt. Mm-hmm. At one point in time during this this introductory period, where he's meeting all the other guests. He actually refers to Walter Ormond as being unhappy, oh, and it shocks especially his wife. It really shocks his his wife for some reason mm-hmm. and he has a tendency he's he's sizing up the situation, yeah, as we will find out as time goes on he's he's sort of predicting things and testing an experiment as he later says,
0: oh, so
1: he's got this sort of air about him to where he's curious he's polite but he's also acting in a way that's unconventional
0: probably a little off-putting and you know putting people on edge because of it
1: needless to say gortler there's something going on with him we've got a lot of exposition about who the people are how they're connected together and the scene ends up ending with farrant and ormond on stage together mm-hmm. and it pretty much ends on this sort of ominous note Okay. Now, Act Two comes along, and it's the next night. Uh, It's Saturday evening. They've had some time to be around each other. Mm -hmm. We later find out that Mr. Ferrant goes out for these long walks, and Janet did the same thing. Uh-huh. And so when we open, we've got Ormond, he's hard at work and he's smoking and he's drinking mm-hmm. and he's talking with Sam mm-hmm. and Janet and Ferret have been gone for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sam takes off and Dr. Gortler comes in. And so there's something almost kind of tragic about Ormond. This is 1937. Ormond is a World War One vet. So he's seen combat, you know, he's been in the trenches Yeah, and he sort of, anticipates an oncoming doom and that's part of the reason why he drinks really really hard is because there's very likely some sort of anxiety going on there sure dr gortler says something about the car in the garage and ormond leaves
0: Mm
1: -hmm. i'm sorry ormond reveals that he's got a revolver in his car and so he leaves to go check on it okay and Sally comes in, and she's really hostile with Dr. Gorler. She doesn't like him at all because mm-hmm. he's weird. Yeah. You know, he kind of sets her on edge. Mm-hmm. And then we hear that revolver shot. Oh. Just, you know, he Ormond left, and there's a little bit of talking, then bang, we uh-huh. hear a, a revolver shot. Ormond comes in shortly after that, and he's obviously very, very shaken. Uh-huh. And he says that what happened was that he went out and he saw a rat, and shot at it. Right. And he, you know, he, he was in the trenches and had rats crawling on him during World War One, So it really puts him on edge to see a rat. Okay. But he talks about how it was sort of this overwhelming urge. He went to his car to check on his revolver and he had uh-huh. the revolver in his hand and he had this urge to use it. Uh-huh. But he uses it on the rat or he, he's not sure. He actually second guesses himself. Was there a rat? But he had to, he had to fire the gun. He had this compulsion, okay, to do so. And so he starts drinking because that's how he deals with everything. Yeah, for the most part, as he gets drunk.
0: Has he still got the revolver on him, or did he leave it in the car?
1: I believe he leaves it in the car. Okay, it's it's not like he's gonna use it right then and there or anything like that. Well, uh, yeah, it's another it's another one of those plays where they hint at suicide. It's common common plot device in, in plays. Sure. Janet comes in shortly after that, mm-hmm. and Sam and Sally and Dr. Gortler, they're all kind of shook shook up by this gunshot. Then Janet comes in, mm-hmm. and she's actually in really good spirits. She's been out walking all day. Right. They ask her, because I guess they kind of figure that she was out walking with... Mm Farrant, and she says no. But there's clearly something going on there between Janet and uh, Farrant, of course. Because we do find out later on that there is something going on with them. Okay. This sort of leads into an ongoing conflict with Doctor Gortler, because he keeps talking about. He seems to be hinting at past lives or deja vu, or uh, lives being recycled over and over and over again. He's hinting at a philosophy that Presumably comes from that P.D. Ouspensky book, mm-hmm. wherein the idea is that time is a loop. Right. Like time works like, if you've ever seen the movie Groundhog Day. Yeah. Except it's everybody and it's all time kind yeah. of looping around over and over and over again. So people mm-hmm. are born, when when people die, their next thing is they get reborn and they go through their lives again and they relive. And then that's just sort of this ongoing cycle. Mm-hmm. But... In his view, it's possible to change things. It's not complete fate. It's just that sometimes your life is good and light, and you can choose to go that direction, or you can or it can get darker and darker and darker, and things get worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of there's still sort of this sense that you have control over your fate, but you're still living the same life right over and over and over again. And he's been hinting at it. For most of the play, but I think this is the point where he gets a lot more overt. Yeah. And Sally's had enough of (laughs) his stuff. So she ends up saying, there's been a problem with your room, you're going to have to leave. Oh. All the other guests, especially Mr. Ormond, they're really concerned about what's going on here because it feels like something's closing in on them. Yeah. And Walter Ormond is the only one who's really like, we need to face this head on. Yeah. Uh, Ferrant is the skeptic about the whole thing, and mm-hmm. Janet sort of represents the in-between point, where she's she's not 100% convinced, but mm-hmm. she's not exactly unconvinced either. Okay. Anyway, Walter, he's upset that, Walter Ormond, he's upset that Dr. Gortler has been kicked out, and he kind of feels bad for his own behavior, and so he leaves to go and apologize. He decides he's going to try to catch Gortler before he takes off
0: okay
1: and uh and so we're left with Ferent and Janet on stage alone Uh huh. and at this point in time they they're trying to be polite they're kind of being coy but they've obviously got this magnetism going on between them right and so they actually end up kissing on stage
0: Mm-hmm.
1: so there's your stage kiss yep And then Ormond gets comes back on stage and catches them. Okay. And he's immediately rational, you know, and he's he's obviously shaken and he's unhappy about it, but Uh he doesn't flip. He doesn't lose his mind. He doesn't come unglued or anything. Wow. And they they discuss whether or not Gortler saw this coming. And the very last shot of this scene is Gortler exiting the hotel, Mm -hmm. and these three people. Ormond and Janet and Ferrant are all watching him sort of with this horror. Yeah. Because they realize that he was he saw this coming. Uh-huh. This Janet falling in love with Ferent mm-hmm. and Walter having the revolver and all this other stuff. So they're freaked out because there's somebody in their midst who knows what's gonna happen. Yeah. Lights go down. Mm-hmm and when the lights come back up, it is the next night. It's Sunday night. We we open up and it's Sam and Sally on stage and Sally's checking in on her son and on the phone and it turns out she's got Dr. Gordler's notebook. He's got this huge notebook full of all of his theories and his ideas and
0: experiments
1: uh-huh. and diary and that sort of thing
0: okay did he leave it there intentionally or was it an accident or do we not know
1: it it looks as though it's probably an accident but it does give him an excuse to come back
0: uh-huh okay
1: we pick up with the the ormond slash ferent slash janet love triangle uh-huh and it has been decided that Janet and Ferrant are leaving together. They've fallen in love. they they don't want to be without each other, so she's leaving um, and, Walter.
0: and this happened over the course of two nights. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> I mean it, it okay. was it was very, very fast, but again it's it's sort of this fate that they're dealing with.
0: Yeah, and it's not the fastest courtship we've ever we've tackled, so yeah, that's,
1: that's true. <laughs> I mean, this sort of thing is very common. That's true. Uh, People behaving, like in real life, it would be a matter of a long time, and you just can't cram that into a a play. Everything's just turned up to 11. Mm -hmm. Everything (laughs) happens very fast. Yeah. Sally really, really, really tries to talk her out of it Mm -hmm. because her son's future is interconnected with Walter Orman's future. Yeah. Then Ormond comes in. Now, the interesting thing about Ormond is for the first time in the entire play, he's sober. Right. And, the, I mean, I understand the, the what's going on here. It's mm-hmm. supposed to indicate that he's accepted his fate. Yeah. You know, it's it's a bad sign that he's completely sober. Unlike, you know, in real life, it would be the other way around. But yeah. I, I would say as a challenge for the actor playing Walter Ormond, Mm-hmm. It's going to be basically figuring out out a way to make his complete baseline mildly drunk. Yeah. And then figuring out a way to come in in this last scene distinctly sober. right? You know, and and conveying that to the audience. Because they don't ever talk about his sobriety. It Mm -hmm. just says in the stage directions... He is sober. Yeah. And it's supposed to be that he's had the shock of his life.
0: The events have affected a significant change in him, mm. and that needs to be portrayed in some way on stage.
1: Anyway, Ormond, he's um, hes polite mm-hmm. with Janet and Ferent, if a little embittered. You know, he's trying not to make a big deal out of it. He sort of understands that his wife doesn't love him anymore. Mm -hmm. It's still a bit of a shock to his system, though. Yeah. And then Dr. Gortler comes back. Right. Right, and he's looking for his notebook. Because he's got a, yep. Orman calls Sally in, Mm -hmm. and they make this formal apology to him. Oh, okay. really sorry for driving you out last night. There Mm -hmm. was some discussion about that earlier as well, because... I mean, even Sally feels bad for having kicked him out. And she flat out admits the only reason she did it is because he's a foreigner.
0: Oh. You know, okay.
1: And and he unnerved her. Mm -hmm. And and so he he, uh, was dismissed. Dr. Gortler also apologizes because he also showed a little emotion the night before when they kicked him out. Okay. Ormond really, really talks, has to talk Dr. Gortler into revealing what he knows.
0: Oh, at this okay. Point in
1: time, because he's only kind of sort of hinted at it up to this point. Mm-hmm. He's talked about how life is cyclical mm-hmm. and how we repeat these things, but we can make them darker or lighter as time goes on. But he hasn't gone into a lot of detail as far as this goes. Mm-hmm. He used, I mean, he's, he's using techniques that are meant to alter people's states of consciousness.
0: Oh, really? I don't
1: think it ever really overtly says he's doing mushrooms or anything like that. He's, <laughs> he's fasting and mm-hmm. he's doing things that alter his consciousness. And presumably that also involves some kind of drug. Okay. And so he talks about having reached these unusual states of mind, as he calls them, and being able to retrieve memories of things that haven't yet happened. Happened right, so he talks about how one of his memories and one of his dreams, mm-hmm. but it was sometime two years in the future from where they are right now. Oh, and he sees this youngish couple who are struggling like crazy mm-hmm. because when Ferent and Janet ran off with each other, mm-hmm. Walter had committed suicide. Oh. So his business crumbled, which Mm -hmm. in turn affected Sally and their kid. Uh In in addition, the scandal caused by, you know, his wife leaving him Uh basically blackballed Ferent from teaching anymore. So they were both destitute and struggling to make ends meet because this whole scenario basically destroyed their lives.
0: And so this is something that Dr. Gortler, like almost foresaw in one of these dreams brought about by this experimental mental state, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, wow.
1: So he's predicting everything that's happened here, that uh-huh. this whole thing, and so he's there to prevent it. Okay. You know, Ferrant doesn't believe it at first, but he's actually able to take his notebook and say, look, here are my notes. And of course Ferrant reads it and yeah. all skepticism is dropped at this point in time. It's uh-huh. pretty much accepted that this is a fact. And then Janet and Farrant are left to talk with each other. Mm-hmm. And Janet at this point in time says, you know what? It's not worth it. If this is our fate, if this is what has to happen, then I cannot leave my husband. Yeah. And so, you know, Farrant says, yeah, but you're miserable. She says, yes, but I, I mean, too many, too many lives are at stake. I can't do this knowing what's going to happen. Yeah. And so she resolves to stay with Orman. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Dr. Gortler interrupts them by coming back on stage, and he doesn't have the revolver. Oh. And so Orman comes in after him, Uh and he's got it. Okay. He's got the revolver. And so at this point in time, Dr. Gortler is hes desperate. He's trying to talk Walter out of killing himself. Yeah. Because if he does, then the company will go under... And all the stuff will come to pass, and yep. it will not matter. Dominoes. And, yeah. And Janet says, "No, no, I'm, I'm not going to leave you for him or mm-hmm. anything like that." And it's, it's very, very dramatic. Him, you know, saying you can choose yeah. to have a life that where you ascend yourself, or you can choose to get allow it to get darker and darker and darker. Mm-hmm. And so he manages to talk Walter out of committing suicide. And Janet is still willing to stay with Walter, but Walter says, look, you're not in love with me, mm-hmm. you're in love with Ferent, you two should be together. Mm-hmm. So he actually gives them his blessing. Sure. So they can be together, and he says, don't worry about your reputation, there will be no scandal. hmm And this is the point where we finally find out about how life is this Groundhog's Day loop and sure. And that's... That's one of the, the elements that slowly gets revealed over the course of the play is the way that time works. Wow. Dr. Yeah, Dr. Gortler <laughs> says something about Walter Ormond being on a new track now uh-huh. and uh, on a different destination at this point in time and everything is resolved. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing ends with uh, with Ormond and Sam smoking and saying, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> And that's uh, and that's the end of the play.
0: Wow! So, in terms of at least staging this, there's not too many challenges. So, who would you say that this show would be appropriate for? Pretty much everybody. Yeah.
1: I think that a community theater could very easily get, get you know get this staged effectively. Uh, it's the philosophy is part of what carries it, but other than that, it's it's almost as a standard thriller. Okay. In terms of its structure, I would say even high school theaters sure. would be comfortable with this. Yeah. Because a lot of I mean like the the aspects that are more adult like the affair and the suicide and there's there's really nothing that's explicit. Yeah. For the most part. It's not, and it's not rough, you know, it's not real blunt. Everybody's very polite and it's Mm -hmm. even the really serious parts of the play are sort of muted. Okay. I would say that most places they're probably more likely to do an Inspector Calls yeah. if they're going to do a J.B. Priestley play. And I think uh, Dangerous Corner is fairly well known as well. So this is uh, one of his lesser known works. Mm -hmm. But if you're looking for something that your region has not done,
0: Uh, Who owns the rights on this one?
1: The rights for this play are, as far as I can tell, from Samuel French. They carry all of his plays and acting editions. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only exception being Play and Inspector Calls. That's a a dramatist play service play. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just about everything else he does, including some stuff that I didn't read, are on uh, Samuel French. Uh, Personally, I read this play in an anthology titled An Inspector Calls and Other Plays. Mm -hmm. This was published in 2001 on Penguin Books sure real easy to find with an interlibrary loan
0: mm-hmm. well that seems to cover it pretty well for I have been here before we haven't mentioned it before but if you'd like to email us for any reason we are theplayreaderspod at gmail.com and of course we're also on twitter at theplayreaders our intro and outro music is Delightful D by Kevin McLeod. more info is in the show notes next month's episode will be about The Scarecrow by Percy McKay but until then don't forget to read the stage directions